Good evening, ladies. So once again, ladies, it's great to be with you all. Um, my name is Father Sibley, so I am looking forward to time spent together. As I said before, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Lafayette, Louisiana. I've been a priest about 18 years now, and I think this is the 14th or 15th retreat that I've done here at the Sacred Heart Retreat House. But over the course of the past eight years, I have been serving as the chaplain at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. This is not Louisiana State. That's in Baton Rouge. That's LSU. We're the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. And so it's been a tremendous joy for me to work with college students, uh, to see them grow and transform. Uh, it's a real blessing. The kids that I have, or at any kind of college campus involved in ministry, really want to be there. I'm a parish, too, so I'm used to working with uh, families also. But working with the young people, it's been a great blessing, really, as we'll see, sort of transform my understanding of what it means to be a priest and how to minister. And so I'm going to, to a certain degree, draw from my own experience uh, in a very broad way during the course of this retreat. And as you might imagine, I do a lot of work with young women, women in general. And so what I want to do today is begin by addressing from my own experience what I see is the biggest problem facing at least women who are striving to live their faith, uh, if not possibly one of the biggest struggles that women today in general face. And maybe it's something women have always faced. Time to get into that. But at least something that I think uh, is important to deal with, not only for your sake, but the sake potentially of your daughters uh, and your granddaughters. And so this first night is the night I know we're all tired, we had a bus ride, we're kind of in space, we're not used to this place, but I'm going to really ask that we do our best to pay attention because what I'm going to establish tonight, even though it's not the funnest of topics, the good news comes tomorrow and Sunday, is essential for understanding the overall message or drive of the retreat. So if you're going to space out, space out tomorrow. Just don't space out tonight, all right? I'm going to try to be funny, try to keep your attention, but I can't promise. So what's the biggest problem? I go down the list and make many guesses, but I'm going to give it to you. Something that I deal with on a daily basis, particularly with the young women I work with, and that is the issue or the problem of perfectionism. Can I get an amen? All right. Ladies, y'all deal with Perfectionism, maybe not all of you. you know, uh, hopefully I'll have something, if you don't deal with perfectionism, something that's good for you. But again, I see it a lot, particularly in younger women. And so I got this definition from the internet, which I think sort of perfectly sums it up. Perfectionism is a disposition to regard anything sort of perfection as unacceptable, especially the setting of unrealistically demanding goals accompanied by a disposition to regard failure to achieve them is unacceptable and a sign of personal worthlessness. I see this in women all the time, no matter what stage of life they're in. And the teenagers, uh, high schoolers, even younger, the pressure to fit in, to be accepted, to be cool, to excel at sports and every extracurricular activity to have the most likes on Instagram, even to the point now that kids are paying people 
to go and like their posts. It gives them a great value of self-worth, that they're achieving greatness on social media. For young women, particularly college students, the desire to be perfect in academics, anything less than an A is simply not acceptable. To maintain a vast network of friendships, particularly if you're in a sorority, to grow spiritually. Again, I'm talking about women here who care about their spiritual lives, not ones that don't care. That's going to be a theme for the retreat. To maintain stable relationships with guys, to have the perfect boyfriend who you could possibly marry one day. Working women that strive to have the advancement in their career, to compete to get notice, to balance work and family, etc. It takes a lot of work to try to get it perfect in the work world. And mothers to provide all the needs for their kids, to be the best teacher, to care for their husband, and of course, compare themselves to other moms, to be able to be better than that mom, or to look as pretty as that mom, whatever it is. And so we all know what it is. I mean, we can nod our heads and understand you know it better than I do. What happens, though, is we normally, in order to achieve perfection, or what we think perfection is, regardless of our state of life, set unrealistic goals and standards, or sometimes they are set for us by people we live with, by media, by the social media, whatever it is. And so if we don't live up to these standards that, that, that Jesus probably couldn't live up to, that Our Lady couldn't live up to, we fail, and we fear uh, uh, just the judgment. Everybody knows that we failed, that we didn't live up to these standards. We're going to perceive perceived as failures. People won't love us. They won't care for us as much. We won't get the attention that we need. We begin to feel discouragement, self-doubt, self-loathing when these uh, goals are not achieved. And so what happens is we feel terrible, so we want to do even more overcome that feeling of, of despair and discouragement, and it becomes a vicious cycle. And of course, as you probably know, it can lead to some pretty serious emotional, and psychological, and even mental issues. Anxiety, depression, acting out to get attention, issues that we pass on to our children and grandchildren, stress in marriage. And so I have to refer a lot of young women to counselors. In fact, I think I'm keeping a couple of them in business because uh, I have to recommend so many. And for whatever reason, guys let things flow off their back. Maybe they don't have as many pressures put on them. The young women do, of course. If they're not dealt with, particularly at a young age, they can lead to serious personality disorders, pretty self-destructive attention-seeking behavior. Is it, does this resonate with y'all ladies? Okay. We're going to talk about perfectionism. We're going to talk about today and over the course of the retreat. What are the sources of the problem? For me, I take a very methodological approach. We know what the problem is. We've got to see the sources of the problem. We've got to understand it if we're going to overcome it. That's why I said, tonight, not a lot of good news. Don't want you to go to bed depressed. But we've got to talk about this stuff or else we won't really know where we're going. What are the sources of the problem? Well, of course, societal pressures, uh, particularly from the media, telling women how they should look or how they should behave. Uh, this is what you need to be successful. This is what you need to feel good about yourself, whether it be the advertisers or the news reports or whatever. There's a tremendous amount of pressure that we know 
particularly are put on women. They're put on guys too, but particularly here we're focusing on women. Even worse, though, is what happens, that's, that's sort of like the media, that's general. Even more locally with peer pressure or social media, particularly amongst uh, young teens and young women, as I said, this, having to have the best Instagram page and using the app to go in there and meticulously make sure our teeth all look perfectly white. I've, I've seen it happen. It's called Facetune. I think you have Facetune. You make sure that everyone looks perfect put the right filter on to present ourselves so people like us. And if we don't get the likes or we don't get the shares, we begin feeling bad about ourselves. And as we get older, it's the same thing, whether it be from social media, comparing ourselves to other moms or the jobs that other women have, uh, pressure amongst friends to live up to certain standards and ideas that we think our friends should have, to be like that person, to look like that person, to have the family or the husband or the job that other person has. It's a lot of that pressure that's either put on us, or at least we perceive is put on us. But probably the biggest issue, and of course this is not going to surprise anybody here, and it's something that's going to come up over and over again during the course of our talk, are family of origins issues. We all have them. We all have them. But still, realizing that when we were younger, as kids, as teenagers, that maybe we didn't get the love or attention we needed from our parents. Maybe there was a divorce. Maybe our mom or dad was sick and absent from us emotionally. Maybe dad was traveling and absent from us physically. Maybe there was an addiction and they couldn't be present to us. We all have our issues. In fact, there are possible issues of abuse and neglect. Chances are there are women here who have been sexually or physically abused when they were growing up. They've never really talked to any bit about it. And again, it's like a cancer that eats us alive. And then a lot of the times what happens is we have those issues, but maybe we have parents who are insecure, and so they take those issues out on us by putting unrealistic demands on us. So insecure parents creating insecure children, particularly today the helicopter parents and the helicopter moms who constantly have their daughters under their thumb, watching over them, not giving them freedom trying to live out their own lives through their children and leaving some pretty big scars and damage in the kids. I mean, we can go down the list. We know that there can be these family of origin issues that leave a lot of wounds and can lead to what we talk about is a lot of shame in our lives. But here's the thing, ladies. Is perfectionism, this striving to overcome our perceived inadequacies, uh, to get the attention that we need, to build ourselves up, to strive to be the best and to be perfect. Is that the real problem? No, it's not. It really isn't. I feel, and from my experience, it is a symptom of a much deeper issue. I have women come and they'll say, or young women too, Father, I'm a perfectionist and I'm confessing it. Uh, I'm prideful. I want attention. I want to be the best. I want to be better than all my friends. And I said, my dear, the problem is not pride. With a guy, it's usually pride or idiocy, which is a, never, a different issue. But it's not pride. I rarely have met prideful women, even though they do exist. Vain women, yes. But pride, vanity, whatever, has a much deeper root. The deeper root of perfectionism 
are our insecurities and our lack of properly balanced self-love. Shouldn't be a surprise. We have these feelings of being unloved or unlovable, that we don't live up to certain standards, that we're not good enough, either for our parents or for our friends or because of what the media tells us. And so we've got to win that love and attention. Pay attention to me. Look how great I am. That if we exceed with academics or with our family or with our social media account, that people will pay attention to us and will win or get the love that we deserve and that we need and maybe very rightly are cheated out of. So it's right that we want attention. We're just not going about the right way to get it. And so this is the reason why to make up for those wounds or that lack of affirmation or at least the perceived lack of affirmation. Probably the word that best sums it up is this feeling of of lack of self-worth, even verging and sometimes on self-hatred and insecurities. I'm not saying it covers everything, but it covers a lot, is the word shame. The word shame. How many of you are familiar with the author and speaker Brene Brown? It's like Rene, but with a B. I got one person. By the end of this retreat, you all should be familiar with her. I'm not going to talk to her a lot about a lot about her, but I really suggest, I probably should have recommended the book, getting it. There's a number of them, but the one I recommend is called Daring Greatly. She also has a video. I give you permission on your phone to go watch it tonight. Unless, did you confiscate the phone, sister? All right, I'll give you permission. It's called, uh, I think it's The Power of Vulnerability. I'm telling you, you watch the video, ladies, you're going to cry. And I want you all to, because as you're going to speak to the heart here, she's a Catholic. I don't know how much she practices. She doesn't preach or talk from a Catholic perspective, but she has written some beautiful, wonderful stuff about shame and the shame that particularly women live with today and ways, and she takes it from more of a psychological self-help approach to overcome shame. Make a distinction, shame versus guilt. Guilt is I feel bad for something I've done and I probably deserve to feel bad. Shame is about who we are. I feel ashamed of who I am, either because of things that I've done or things that were done to me. We all make bad choices. We all need correction and discipline. But there's a critical difference when we tell others, our children, or we've been told that you did a bad thing versus you are a bad person. And so these, particularly these family of origins issues, can lead to a tremendous amount of shame that we come to believe that we are bad people, that we're not lovable, that we don't deserve the best. And so we seek out attention in a number of different ways, but particularly through perfectionism. And so, again, particularly sexual abuse can lead to this, this this amount of shame. And so we see ourselves as unlovable and engage in sometimes self-destructive behavior, or as she's going to talk about, Brene Brown, putting up walls, refusing to be vulnerable, isolating ourselves, cutting ourselves off physically, emotionally, spiritually, from the people who do want to love us, and who do see us as good and want to share their lives with us. And so we can also then begin to live very deeply insecure in constant fear of being judged by other people. 
when people aren't judging us at all, but we feel that people are judging us, they're looking down on us, so we have to put on this face that we're perfect and that we're great. And of course, it can lead to perfectionism. This shame, again, as I said, it can manifest itself in different ways, but a lot of times, particularly for spiritual women who want to be holy, who want to get to heaven, who want to love Jesus, it comes from the shame that leads to perfectionism. To win the love of our parents, but here specifically, to win the love of God. I'm going to pray this novena perfectly, and God's going to love me. I'm going to do a thousand rosaries, and Jesus is going to love me. I'm not saying praying rosaries and novenas are not good. These are wonderful things. But if we're doing it to win God's attention, it's not the right way. God is going to pay attention to us even if we don't pray any rosaries. Or at least to make ourselves feel valuable. I'm doing all these things and I'm perfect. I have some sense of self-worth from what I do. And so again, it ties into also some subtle attention-seeking. But what happens is we fail. We have these super high standards of who we should be, particularly in the spiritual life, and we can't live up to it. And so the self-doubt creeps in, more self-hatred, discouragement, beating yourself up. How many ladies in here like to beat yourself up? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. We love to beat ourselves up. I'm no good. I'm terrible. Or, as I said, a heightened sensitivity to criticism. I preached on this a few weeks ago. I feel like I'm being judged. Well, you're probably not being judged, but you feel that way because of your own security. You're going to take it out on other people, and you're going to make their lives miserable instead of coming to find some deeper healing. And, of course, this all leads to greater lack of self-worth. So the heart of the problem of perfectionism is not perfectionism. It's really a deep brokenness that I see in so many women, particularly young women. Constant flow in and out of my office. And as I tell you, it breaks my heart. The reason I'm talking about this is because my heart goes out to women in such a way I see the brokenness, I see the pain, and a lot of them not even knowing where to start. And at root, what it is, a very real and legitimate and good desire to be loved, to be affirmed, to be cherished, to be valued. And so what happens is, is there's that deep wound there, that, that, that looking for love, and it's never dealt with, and it can last all of their lives, making themselves miserable, making other people miserable in the process. And so I'm here to say there can be healing. I don't care if you're 21 years old or 41 or 61. There can be healing. Again, I'm not saying that the Lord is going to take everything away, even if he does. There's still going to be scars. You still may limp a little bit. And the Lord wants to bring healing and transformation. So in this perfectionism, let's get back into it a little bit since we have time. What are some of the major manifestations that I at least see in perfectionism in people's lives? Now, ladies, you may say, Father, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't see it in my life. But trust me, it is quite often there. The first is the, is the, the, two, the two poles. Compare and despair and compete and defeat. Have you all ever heard this before? I say it so often, the girls laugh at me. Compare and despair, compete and defeat with other women. For whatever reason, women like to compare themselves to other women. 
all the time. Guys, we really don't care about it. We're too busy being idiots. Constantly comparing themselves to the girls, comparing their grades, relationships, looks, social media posts, mothers, how, how other mothers are running their homes, cooking, working out, going to Bible studies, showing up for mass every weekend on time while raising decent kids, comparing your kids to other mothers' kids, and of course, in spirituality too, comparing our, ourselves. When it comes to work, comparing your job, your boss, your bonuses, looking at all the time, comparing yourself with other women. And so it, it leads to one of two things. First of all, comparing yourself and saying, all these other women are better than me. They're holier than I am. They're better looking than I am. They have better families. And we despair. It's terrible. My life is miserable. And we just despair and fall into that, which adds to a deeper lack of self-worth. Or on the other hand, we say, I'm going to bring that woman down. I'm going to tear her eyes out. I'm going to gossip about her. I'm going to trash her. That's why women gossip. You don't gossip because you're prideful. You gossip because of your insecurity. I'm going to bring that woman down by tearing her apart. I can build myself up. That's how it works. And so it's that compete and defeat. That's when the claws come out. What happens? There's one or the other. Neither of them are good. The roots of this probably go millions of years back in evolution as females were competing with other females uh, to be able to mate with their mates. Um, Again, you can go do some evolutionary biology to study that. But that's one of the big things, the comparing and despairing. Regardless if you compare and despair, compete and defeat, it's comparing yourself to other women instead of seeing yourself and the view of Jesus and the God, the Father, what really matters. That's the first thing. Number two, see it in dating and romantic relationships. Again, this is the other retreat for men. Young men are simply not ready to date or commit. So I got these beautiful 25-year-old girls, droves of them. They're no guys. Because the guys are all looking at porn, and don't have jobs, and are complete blithering idiots. I, I really, it's, it's a really, really bad problem. And so what happens is, they're so desperate for attention, they date the loser, and they end up marrying the loser. And the loser makes their life miserable, which makes them feel even worse about themselves. Or sometimes, because of those deep insecurities in relationships, the women refuse to reveal who they truly are, because they're afraid, well, if I'm not perfect, he won't love me. If I'm not perfect, he won't want to marry me. It's not being fake. That's fakeness that can be seen, but a reluctance to go deeper in relationships. So it just stays on the surface level, or even worse, it becomes sexual or physical because of the fear to reveal who you truly are. When you're actually really fantastic and spectacular, but you bring yourself down, or you don't show anyone what's going on because you want to protect what you perceive to be not good. And, of course, perfectionism can then factor into codependency. If we're not feeling good enough or enough at all, what we're going to do is we're going to micromanage other people to feel better. That's our perfectionism. Uh, we may turn to caretakers or taskmasters of others. We're going to get our attention off of ourselves and make ourselves feel better by controlling the situation around us. And so, again, another way that we manifest that perfectionism is in control of the situation. So sometimes that codependency, we begin basing, if we make everybody else happy, 
then we're happy. Our emotional state is dependent upon the emotional state of other people. Everybody's happy, I'm happy, it's all good, life is fantastic. Of course, this leads to poor boundaries, it leads to a lot of fighting and divorce and misery, uh, but that's why you gotta catch it off at the pass. Number three, this is one that is so big for me and I see it in young women, know it exists in older women too. The desire for certitude. 100% certitude that every decision that you make is exactly correct, that you're not going to fail, and that you're doing God's will. Particularly in young women, discerning a vocation. This is why it's so hard for young women to step into religious life. They want to be 100% certain they're doing God's will. They don't want to make a mistake. And so what happens is they end up discerning forever. It's the OPDs, the Order of Perpetual Discernment. Because they can't risk making a mistake. they got to be perfect. They can't take that risk. But what happens is they really want God to come tell them exactly what to do. And we're going to talk about that. This is not how it works. Not just with vocations, but in general. How many ladies, you would love Jesus to appear every day and tell you exactly what to do? Raise your hand. Absolutely. Ain't going to do it. Ain't going to do it. Mary didn't have certainty. She said, you're going to be the mother of God, but he didn't spell out for her. We're going to talk more about this later. She's not going to have it. But this desire for certainty, because if we make a mistake, if we choose wrong in a big thing or a small thing, that's the, the indecisiveness. Uh, dealing with that today, somebody on the phone, one of my young women I work with, wonderful, but just couldn't make a decision about something that is a man. I didn't make that in two seconds. But she's smart. She called me. So I was happy to help. I wasn't trying to mansplain. I was just trying to get some the anxiety off of her, her, her back. And the moral and spiritual life. This is where we get into spirituality here. You know, a number of issues. Unrealistic goals of the spiritual life. I want to be a saint now. Or I want to do all these things that are going to make me a saint. Feeling disappointed. My prayer is not good enough. I spend two hours a day in prayer. It's not good enough. Jesus is not happy. They're not doing enough. I need to be doing more to be spiritual. And so the littlest thing, you know, a dry day in prayer or whatever, or going through a difficult time or making the little sin, significant discouragement. Ultimately, what's this about? Wanting to win God's love. I'm going to impress Jesus. I'm going to do all these novenas. He's going to love me. Again, there's a lack of security in the Lord's love for us, that we don't need to do anything to win the Lord's love. We don't need to get his attention by our behavior. And then, of course, the final thing is, and this is what it all comes down to, it's fear of failure. Total fear of failure. Everything is founded in that. Be perfect because if we're not and we fail, we're not going to be loved by our parents, by our friends, by our children ultimately by God. And so we want to avoid failure at all costs. Now, a friend of mine who's a psychologist brought this up, is that this can actually lead to women procrastinating. If I don't finish, then I won't be judged. Then I won't fail. And so constantly procrastinating. Again, I'm not saying every time we procrastinate it's for that, but it's this fear of failure. So scared to fail. So worried about being judged or losing love and attention. Some people may say, Father, I know the Bible. Didn't Jesus say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? 
I love these counter-arguments. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Well, you've got to take it in context. What is the context of that? Jesus is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about loving enemies. And so just as the Father allows the rain to fall on the good and the bad, you love people that you like and your enemies. That's what it means to be perfect. He doesn't say don't make any mistakes. He doesn't say don't be human. Don't take the Scripture passages out of context. We've got to strive to be saints. We have to strive for spiritual excellence. We can't say, I'm going to sit on the couch all day and drink mimosas and be holy. No, it doesn't work that way. You can drink mimosas, you can sit on the couch, but that's probably not the way you're going to be holy. But what happens is, is we have this idea that we've got to be perfect, or a false idea of holiness. It stops us from truly being holy. Uh, over the course of the retreat, I'm going to quote a lot from Father Jacques Philippe. I saw how y'all love Father Philippe's books there. Uh, we have the sisters in their bookstore. I have a lot of them available. The two that I am going to suggest a lot on the retreat uh, are searching. How many of you have not read Searching for and Maintaining Peace? Raise your hand. All right. You need to buy a book. A book will change your life. How many of you have read the book before? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you has changed your life? Raise your hand. Look at that. Even me. I've given that book out probably as suggested over 500 times. He also has another book called The Way of Trust and Love on St. Therese, and as you'll see, it's an important book to get. So get the, we have, I have a handful of books there. Go buy them out. Some of them are a little bit harder. Two of them are harder to find. I'm going to reference them. Uh, it's a good way to help the sisters and a good way to spend money. Get something out of it. So Father Jacques Philippe says this, Holiness is only revealed to us by degrees as we journey on. And it is often something very different from what we imagine. We have this own idea. Well, this is what holiness is. I'm going to be holy like my friends. I'm going to be holy like Padre Pio. I'm going to be holy like St. Therese, whatever it is. And it is often, though, he says, something very different from what we imagine. So much so that the greatest obstacle in the path to holiness may be to cling too closely to the image we have of our own perfection. The greatest obstacle is this desire for perfection, or at least our own idea of what perfection is. And we're not going to get into it, but part of it is also tied to, well, this is what perfection is, and these are the steps, the technique I'm going to use to get to be perfect. Spiritual life is not a technique. It's not a book that you can pick up and read. I know y'all probably all are looking for that. I want to find that book. Give me the five steps to becoming a saint. It doesn't exist. If it says it exists, then it's a false book. It doesn't exist. It's different from everybody for everybody. We won't get into it much. We should all strive for holiness, but we are not the ones who make ourselves holy. God in his love and his grace make us holy. Our job is to be there to receive it and to respond to it. All right. So this is all depressing. Why did I come on this retreat? I want my money back. If what I said, does this sound true? All right, can I get an amen? Amen. All right, so what's the solution? Again, I'm telling you, I'm not going to give you a I'm gonna, There's no technique, but I'm going to tell you there's a solution to this. And I recommend it all the time. This is the basis of... I do spiritual direction for about 40 women. 
why my hair is gray. A handful of guys too, but I do. I'm telling you, this is the solution. And it's the topic of our retreat. How do you deal with it? First of all, I really say therapy and counseling is very important. Very important. Particularly that comes a level. I mean, everybody can benefit from it. Uh, sometimes it's a level you need to get counseling before you get spiritual direction. It's like this. You break your leg. You want someone to pray for you. It gets better, but you're still going to go to the doctor. Sometimes we need therapy. We need counseling. Don't worry about what people think of you. Don't even worry. Sometimes we need medicine. That's okay. That's great. There's chemicals in our brain that need to be readjusted sometimes. But what about on the spiritual side? Again, so again, I'm talking here about women who are trying to be holy. Who care? I'm assuming it is all of you here, or else you wouldn't have driven four hours in a bus to come. Now, there are people who need to hear this message, but they're out doing self-destructive behavior, and they're not here. So I'm speaking to y'all, and maybe to your children and your grandchildren. So what is the antidote to perfectionism? How do we cure it? How do we fight against it? The antidote, in my experience, is spiritual childhood. Spiritual childhood. Look, sister, smiling. Can I get an amen, sister? Sister probably thinks spiritual childhood is the antidote to everything, but she's probably right. And so this we're going to talk about this retreat. We're going to talk about spiritual childhood, mainly inspired by St. Therese. How many of us, if we love St. Therese, can I get an amen? We love St. Therese. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at her way of spiritual childhood, but as you know, if you've been on truth with me, I'm just going to regurgitate what St. Therese says. We're going to look at it in a little different way. We're going to try to maybe get some new insights to look at it in a fresh way. I do suggest getting in the way of trust and love and that book and using it reading. Don't beat each other up to get it, but I think they have a lot of copies, don't they? Fjord a lot. So it's a fantastic book, really easy to read. So what is that, that, that spiritual childhood? As Father, as, as, as she describes it, again, I'll give her some quotes, path of confidence and total abandonment. The child has confidence in his, his or her parents and abandons them and trusts them, doesn't worry about anything. Kid doesn't worry where the food's going to come from. He trusts. Doesn't have any worries. So when we get older, we lose trust. We start relying on ourselves and trying to control the situation, want to be perfect. Father Jacques Philippe calls it, it's the way of trust and love. And we can learn to live spiritual childhood, to be confident in our relationship with the Father, to live that total abandonment, things can be changed. But it's to be the child, not to act childish, not at all, the last thing we want, but acknowledging our littleness and dependence on God, a loving Father, for everything that we depend upon Him. All right, how do we do it? Well, we're going to look at three key elements, even though there are probably more than three key elements. I'm going to give you three to think about. So tomorrow and Sunday, super positive that we got to we got to look at the, the, the dark before we can look at the light. So that's what I'm going to do. So some homework for tonight. I'm going to give you homework every day, every time. I'm not going to check it. I'm not going to grade you. This is not what we're here for. Sister might. She's probably much more merciful than I would be. 
I'm going to give you a few things to think about and pray about. Topic resonates. Parent and think about childhood. Or am I, first question, am I a perfectionist? On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad of a perfectionist am I? What are the roots of the perfectionism? So that's the part. You know, what are the roots of my self-hatred, my doubt, my lack of love, my need for attention? Maybe it comes from peer pressure. Maybe it comes from some, my relationship with my dad or my mom, some abuse, whatever it is. Am I a perfectionist? And what are those deeper roots? Particularly focusing on the deeper roots. Don't be afraid to say, Lord, I'm going to give you these deeper roots. Or if you don't know who they are, show them to me. Ask the Lord to begin the healing process. Number two, again, this may not apply to everybody. What about your children, particularly your daughters? Do they struggle with this? And is it your fault? Have you contributed to their perfectionism, to their attention-seeking behavior, and potentially their, their, their delinquency? The point is, is I'm not, we don't want to blame ourselves at all. Nobody is perfect. But to realize that, hey, sometimes our own insecurity, it spills over to others. Because a lot of this is I want you to take what you learn and whether you feel that you had something to pull apart the planet or not, bring it to your children. Apologize. I didn't know what I was doing. I want to help. Y'all can heal together. We're going to talk about that. The trust. Do not beat yourselves up for this, ladies. Please do not. This is the no beating ourselves up zone this weekend. Not at all. We're going to see the Lord's merciful. And then finally, and this is the most important. Ignore the other stuff. Are you confident that God the Father loves you for who you are, not for what you do? Are you confident and you believe, not just here, but here, that God the Father loves you for who you are, not for what you do. You don't need to impress him to win his love. You don't need to be perfect to win your love. Just as you are in your imperfection, in your hard-headedness, in your weakness, in your sinfulness, the Lord loves you for who you are. That's what I want you to think about. Pray about that. Bring it to Jesus. And we'll close the glory be. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.